This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. A guest speaker is featured on this message. before you this morning with um, just with grateful hearts as we woke up this morning uh, you kept our hearts beating last night some of us woke up and heard heard birds singing outside we all experienced the the wonderful Texas sunshine drove here in cars and um, get to come to this church where there's a people here pastored by men uh, who know you and love you there's people who who have oriented their lives um, to serving you. God, you have been so kind um, in what you've done in our hearts and in this people. And we come before you again this morning, eager to hear from you, Lord. So, Spirit of God, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Be with us now. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear from you. You know my desire is to serve these people that I love so much. So I pray, God, that you'd help me to speak clearly and powerfully from your word. Attend my preaching with power so that when we walk out of here today, Lord, we'd be more aware of you, more aware of your grace, more aware of your help than our need, more aware of your presence, God. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if uh, if you brought your Bible this morning, turn with me to Second Corinthians, chapter twelve. We're going to spend uh, spend our time this morning in verses seven through ten. I don't know about you, but growing up, one of my favorite things to do as a kid was to on Saturdays and Sunday mornings when I didn't have to go to school, I grab a big bowl, a large like mixing bowl, fill it with chocolatey marshmallowy cereal. Grab the newspaper and flip over to the comic section. Now I'd, I'd see what Snoopy was up to, what Charlie Brown was up to, what you know Calvin and Hobbes, Foxtrot—you name it. I loved it. I laughed. I still laugh. I don't get the newspaper delivered anymore, but I still get the comics delivered to my email inbox every morning. So it's still a joy. I don't do the chocolatey cereal anymore. So my wife cares for me and helps me guard my health. I was reading a peanut strip the other day, and I found Lucy asking a glum-looking Charlie Brown, Hey, buddy, what's the matter? He said, Oh, I, I feel weak. I feel, I feel inferior. Lucy responds, Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that. Lots of people feel that way. And Charlie looks at her and says, Really? That, that they feel inferior? And she says, oh, No, 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 that you're inferior. <laughs> I don't know if you ever get that feeling, one of, one of weakness or inferiority. I feel that way every day. Tempted that way, I look around um, people I work with. I see how just how naturally they do what it is that they do, and how much of a struggle it is for me. I I went to school this year with a lot of a lot of sharp and gifted guys, and and I'm not sharp. <laughs> I heard Pete one time uh, diagnose somebody with brain weakness, and I I have that. I'm pretty confident. So I look around at people, and I and I see that people are strength uh, people are strong in ways that I'm weak, and I feel inferior. I feel weak. I often am tempted to think, man, I'm just missing it. I'm doing it all wrong. Maybe I should look for a new line of work. 
Well, Charlie Brown felt inferior. I feel inferior. And I don't like that. We don't like that. We try to avoid this feeling of inferiority, don't we? We try to avoid the feeling of, of weakness and place ourselves in positions where we look strong. Well, this is what Paul is addressing in 2 Corinthians chapters 10 through 12. He's got these, these men that are coming into the church there that he planted. And they're telling, they're telling the church that, hey, look, Paul, this guy that you follow is weak. We're, we're more eloquent. We're smarter. We're more powerful. We're more impressive. And you follow this guy who's, who's, who's weak and unimpressive. And Paul, Paul responds, though, with a radically different perspective on weakness than what the Corinthians had. And this text, this text can have a transforming effect on the way that we view weakness and the way that we access God's power. You see, the church in Corinth had a culture much like ours, one that, one that celebrated the strong and despised the weak. They looked at the beautiful. They looked at the, at the wise. They looked at the eloquent speakers. And they, and they held them as impressive. Anything, anything that elevated them above their neighbors, that's what they prized. That's what they sought after because they wanted to look strong. They wanted to look smart and successful for other people to come and, and ask them questions so that they could uh, be followed. But Paul... He looked at this and he saw a conflict between what the Corinthians were prizing and what God calls us to prize. Paul looked at them and he saw that that they were being fooled into denying the gospel by boasting in human strength. So Paul radically challenges the values of the culture. And here he describes one of the most difficult things to grasp in the Christian life. It's a gospel paradox, if you will. And that's that God doesn't glorify himself most in the strong and impressive but God uses our weaknesses to display his perfect power. Let me say that again. God uses our weaknesses to display his perfect power. Well, to see this this morning, we're going to look at three things. We're going to see, we're going to see what, that Paul went through a trial. So we're going to see his trial. Then we're going to see the way that God responds to him. And then finally, we'll see where Paul ends up and how he responds. So we're going to read verses 7 through 10, but to set the stage a little bit, let's read, let's start in verse 1. So follow along with me. Paul says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, so Paul's trial. So first, we see that, that Paul had been caught up to paradise. Okay, he'd been, he'd been up in the, in the third heaven. And this is the same guy 
remember, who planted the church. He was pioneering the Christian church planting movement. He was writing what, what would become, he wrote most of what became our New Testament scriptures. So Paul, he had, I mean, this guy was, this guy was for real. These other men come in, and they're claiming spiritual superiority over Paul. They're, they're claiming to be strong and impressive. They're saying, hey, look, you need to follow us and not Paul. But Paul, I mean, this guy had real game. He had a real claim to authority in their lives. But the fact that he had so much to boast in, well, he could be tempted to arrogance, couldn't he? He could be tempted to like a, a sense of spiritual superiority. Let's be honest. If this if this happened to me, if this happened to you or me, if I'd been caught up to the third heaven, I mean, what are we doing afterwards? We're, we're writing a book about it, right? My 10 Minutes in Heaven by Aaron Mayfield. And I'm going to book signings and, and going on a speaking tour. I mean, if I'm if I've been to heaven, who am I who am I going to get into a theological debate with that I don't say, listen, who's been to heaven? <laughs> Not you. You sit down, you ask the questions, I'll give you the answers. And so to, to guard from this, we read that Paul was given a given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass him, to keep him from being too elated. Well, if you're wondering what this thorn was, join the club. Nobody knows. I read a lot of scholars about this. There's no consensus. Most people, most people today believe that it was some kind of physical affliction. So maybe he had some kind of reoccurring or chronic illness. Maybe it was, maybe it was malaria. Maybe, maybe he had chronic headaches. Or uh, you know, maybe it was a speech impediment because he says that he wasn't an eloquent speaker. Or maybe it was an eye problem because we're reading Galatians that, it, that he says, see with what large letters I write to you. So there's a lot of things that you can make a legitimate case for, but again, we just don't know. What we need to grasp, though, is that whatever it was, it was a serious issue. We need to understand it wasn't minor and that it was permanent. It wasn't going away. Actually, the, the fact that we don't know for certain what it was helps us because if we knew what it was, we might be tempted you know, not, to, not to relate to him. But the fact that we don't know what it was means that we can identify with, with Paul's thorn because we all have something, right? We all have some kind of weakness that plagues us, that frustrates us. And because we don't know, we can, we can appropriate the same theological lesson that Paul learned, which we'll get to in a moment. Another question about this thorn is, is who gave it to him? Well, it says explicitly in the text that it was a messenger of Satan, so, so we know that somehow Satan was involved. However, there's also this, this positive spiritual purpose. So it says that it was to keep him from being conceited. Well, that doesn't sound like Satan. Satan would be happy for him to be conceited. It says that it was to keep him from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of his revelation. Well, that's God. Okay, so, so Satan's involved here. But then there's also God involved. I mean, this is this is you know, this is hard to hard to grasp. It's hard to hard to understand. But what we need to see is not you know not necessarily what it was. We need to understand that it was both from God and from Satan. But how does Paul respond? Well, he he, he responds by praying, and he perseveres in prayer. And keep in mind who we're talking about here. This is Paul. Okay, Paul, who you remember in the book of Acts, he went through three shipwrecks. Okay, I mean, I've never been in one. He's been in three. He's endured countless beatings, left for dead on multiple occasions. So this guy, I mean, he's tough. He's not a sissy, right? He's not going to complain about some small irritant. 
So it was a serious issue. Also, Paul's not a stoic. He doesn't just endure the stuff and then you know, spout off some kind of you know, positive thoughts or theological truisms. No, when, Paul, when suffering hits, Paul hits his knees. Paul prays for deliverance. And isn't this you and me? I mean, who can't, who can't relate to moments where, where you feel weak and, and frustrated and, and it's just not working out and you, you don't understand why, but you just keep hitting this wall? You know that God's in this somehow, but you don't understand why, why is he allowing this to linger? We deal with physical limitations that they don't go away. Or we get sick and we don't get better. We have a series, a long season of difficult trials that leave us exhausted, weak, and frustrated. Somehow we know, we know that God's involved, but I mean, if he, if he can do anything and he loves us, why doesn't he change our circumstances? Why do we need to endure the pain and the trials that we do? Well, here's what we need. We need God's perspective. And that's the second point. So let's look at, let's look at verse 9. So Paul prays and God responds, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Great, so, so he gets grace. But that's not what Paul asked. Paul asked, God, take this thorn away. But God doesn't pluck his thorn out of the flesh. He doesn't, he doesn't drive Satan's messenger back to hell. He could have done this, but he didn't. Instead, he gives him a promise to sustain him. Now, some might, some might take this section to mean that like, you know, we, have, we have a hard season and God gives us grace to change through the season and that, and that everything gets better. And that does happen. And we should pray that that happens. We should pray for deliverance. We should pray for healing. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. No, Paul's, Paul's illness was ongoing. Paul was saying that it's the very presence of his weakness that is the condition of his strength. Paul's thorn is not removed by grace. He still had it. But he was given grace to, to work with it, to live with it, and to work through it in, in spite of his present weakness. And, and when we say grace... We use that word a lot of ways. The church is called Grace Church. We say that we're saved by grace. We say that we're justified by grace, sanctified by grace. We say that we live by grace. We say, well, you know, we just need to give that person more grace. Um, but what's, what's he saying here? What is God, how is God responding to Paul? Is, is God saying, listen, Paul, I know, you've got, I know you've got issues, buddy, but I saved you. I mean, I took care of the big stuff. So you can deal with this. I mean, this is, this is small time. It's not, it's not exactly what it sounds like he's saying here, is it? This, this, sounds, this seems closer to God saying, listen, my grace, my grace will sustain you in the pain. My grace will carry you through this. You see, Paul, he was finding that in and of himself, he was inadequate. But with God's grace, well, God's grace was more than adequate for his need. Paul's prayer, it was answered, just not in the way that he initially asked for it to be. His, his prayer was answered not by his deliverance from the affliction, but by receiving necessary grace to bear the affliction. And then there's a second part of this verse. 
He says that my power is made perfect in weakness. Well, what does this mean? My power is made perfect in weakness? Well, one, one paraphrase had it. God receives more glory when we despair of ourselves and rely on Him. So listen, God, God looks at our weakness and our weakness, it's the very stage on which God's power is, is displayed. Okay, this is where his power is seen. Earlier in this letter, Paul says, Paul says that we hold forth the glory of God in jars of clay. Well, this jar is cracked. It's battered. It's battered. It's beaten. It's no longer able on its own to hold water, which is what, it was, which is what it's supposed to do. But the message here is that God's grace infuses this jar, holds it together, and it, holds, and it does its job even better, shows forth more glory because of the grace of God. And this is, a friend, this is amazing, friends. So, so weakness is the stage where God's power is most clearly on display. It's precisely when Paul is weak that he experiences Christ's power. Why, why does God work this way? I mean, this, this just doesn't make sense in, in our eyes. Why doesn't he make us strong to show his power? We celebrate the strong. And who, you know, who doesn't say, man, I wish that God would save, you know, whoever you want to say, whoever your, your worldly hero is, and bring him into this church. Because if that guy was in our church, man, I could invite anybody. I could say, you know what, even this guy came, comes to our church. Because that impresses people, right? Why doesn't God... You know, we look at we look at like the football heroes. They score a touchdown. You know, they get in the end zone. They they you know, point up or they get down on their knee, give glory to God. That you know that gives God glory. Why can't He make us all like that? Why can't we all be the superstars that everybody applauds? Because imagine our imagine our evangelism there. Imagine if we had the power you know to overcome anything or or to to do you know something really impressive and amazing. Well, anybody would come and follow that because that's impressive in the eyes of the world. Well, so why doesn't God do that? I mean, if he did that, how about if he made us strong, his grace, his power might not be sought after or experienced in our lives because we'd wake up and say, you know what? I'm strong. I can do this. I don't need help. And as far as weakness, you know, what it... What does this mean for us? I mean, what, what does Paul mean by weakness? Because we use, we use this word in a, in a variety of ways, too. So I, I admitted that I, that I eat I like chocolatey, marshmallowy cereal in the mornings. So I might say that I have a weakness for chocolate or sugar. We see somebody that, that doesn't have any muscles and say, well, that guy's weak. We see somebody that just doesn't have a lack of ability, or he has, he has a lack of ability, and we say, well, that guy's weak. Or, or, or there's that guy whose whose jokes constantly fall flat. So, bro, that is weak. Your jokes are weak, bro. Or maybe we maybe we speak of our sin struggles, and and call that weakness, and say, you know what, I I did it again. I'm just I'm just weak. That's my weakness. Well, these are all legitimate uses of the word, but Paul is most emphatically not using that here. He's he's certainly not saying that God displays his perfect power in your sinful habits. So we can't, you know, we can't misread the text to say that. So what is weakness? I think, I think John Piper uh, best captures the essence of weakness when he says that weaknesses, listen, they're, they're circumstances 
and situations and experiences and wounds that make us look weak. Well, we can identify with that. I mean, we all want to be sufficient for the task, don't we? We want to we want to meet opposition and to wrestle and grapple and force our way through the opposition. We want to be the one that when there's a when there's a hard job, they call on us because everybody has confidence in our ability to overcome. The problem is we're not sufficient. And this can frustrate us. It can it can lead us to despair. But what should it lead us to? I mean, what, is it, what does it lead Paul to? It leads him to prayer. I mean, the strong man, the strong man just doesn't see his need for God. The self-sufficient say, I can do this. But the weak man, well, the weak man stands there trembling, crying out for help. Saying, God, I I can't do this. I'm not as gifted as that person, or I'm not as strong as this person. I don't know how other people do it. I it's all that I can do to get out of bed in the morning because I know what awaits me at work. I know what awaits me when I get out and see the kids. I'm not I'm not strong enough, God. I'm not sufficient. I need your help. Listen, Paul was no morbid fanatic who took pleasure in pain. He didn't, he didn't enjoy suffering. And when suffering hits, Paul hits his knees. Listen, listen carefully to this quote from Sam Storms. You can read along. So we've got it displayed up there. Paul's joy was not in his pain, but in his experiential realization of the complete adequacy of God's grace in Christ to meet his every need in spite of his weakness and to transform his weakness into an opportunity for the power of Christ to be displayed. Do you hear that? It's exactly right. Paul saw his weakness less as a problem and more as an opportunity. And this, and this promise, this promise is present tense language. Okay, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's not a one-time thing. It's not, hey, I gave you grace, you know, a few years ago, so remember that, you know, that'll, that'll kind of get you through. No, the grace is ongoing. Okay, it's a, it's a stream that never stops. So if God has called you, He is with you. He will get you through this. Here's the point. God may indeed alter your circumstances, and we should ask for that. We do ask for healing. The Bible commends that. We should ask others for help. However... He may have other purposes for your for your trial. He may have other purposes for your weakness. Maybe, like with Paul, he has he wants you to learn something that will be of much higher ultimate significance for your life. And this leads to our to our third point. So first we had Paul's Paul's trial and God's response. Now we have now we have Paul's Paul's response. So read with me in the second half of verse nine. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, 
insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul, he doesn't just say that he's content with weaknesses, but that he actually boasts about his weaknesses. Now, how, how many of us are doing that? How many of us are walking around and, you know, just talking about how weak we are? How many of us go to our boss, you know, for our evaluation? He says, how are you doing? <laughs> Man, I am weak. I don't know how you justify paying me for what I do because I, I just can't figure it out. How many of us, you know, how many of us, you know, go to our family reunion or talk about our parenting and just say, man, I, I don't know what I'm doing. These kids are running rampant. I have no idea. I, who, who let me have kids? I am weak as a parent. But Paul does. Paul says he boasts gladly about his weaknesses. He can say this because now he understands that it's in the actual weakness that he experiences the power of Christ. Therefore, if weakness, if weakness is the stage on which God's power is going to be displayed, well, then he'll boast all the more of it to experience God's power. Do you want to experience, God, do you want to experience God's power in your life? Look to your weaknesses. That's where he shows up the most. David Garland, one Bible commentator, says that if Paul boasted in his own strength, thinking by himself he was equal to any task or any calamity, he would then cancel out the power of God in his life. He is therefore most powerful when he is least dependent on his own resources. And that's true for us as well. And this is, a, this is a significant point, friends. One of the great reasons why Paul boasted in his weakness, why you must boast in your weakness, is that if you try, if you try to cast an image to those around you that, you know what, you've just got it together, that, that you're able to do it on your own, that you don't really need, you don't really need help, you don't really need any, any change, that you've just got it. I mean, what's, what's that going to do to them when you try and tell them about a crucified Savior? If there's ever someone who didn't need, it's Jesus. And yet he came into this world, humbles himself to the point of death on a cross. How is that going to impress anybody if we try and show them that, that we're impressive and we're strong? We've got it all together. We're stronger than our Savior that we preach. I mean, we're going to have people walking in these doors. They're going to see your life and they're, they're going to look at you. And you don't even need to try and give them an, impre- an impression that you've got it together because oftentimes we're, we're just tempted to think that about others. I look around the room and I, I see people that they do seem to have it all together. Everything seems to flow smoothly for them. Things come naturally. They have a life of ease. And people that come in here, they're going to want to know what's different about this people. And we've got to be able to give them more than six steps to a, to a happy life. Here's how to be a successful employee. Here's how to climb the corporate ladder. Here's how to be, here's the, here's the five principles of being a you know, perfect parent or anything else. A few years ago, my, um, my wife's grandparents celebrated their 65th wedding anniversary, which is wonderful. It's something to celebrate, and we celebrated it. We had a big party, had lots of family, friends there. And appropriately, 
someone at one point looked at Grandpa and said, Walter, what's the secret? What's the secret of 65 years? of How do you stay married when, when everybody else is, is tempted to just throw in the towel and give it up? Well, he got up from his seat, and it wasn't a, you know, oh, I'll tell you. He, he got up slowly. It's very reflective. And he had tears in his eyes as he quoted Psalm 1 from his memory. And then he looked at us and said, listen, I'm not a better man than anybody else in this room. We're not better people. There have been, you know, we're, we're sinners who sin against each other every day. And there have been, been lots of times that we, we wanted to throw in the towel. And we knew, we knew that we weren't sufficient to get through it on our own. And, and so we cried out for help. We, we, we prayed and we asked God for help. We talked to friends and, and took it to the church and, and experienced God's grace. Listen, Grand, Grandpa could have, he could have given us a list of, of ten things to do to ensure that you make it to 65 years. He could have talked about opening the door for his wife or, or writing her love letters when they were apart. Uh, he could have talked about mutual, mutual humility or the need to always put you know, her preferences first. And some of that, I mean, that would have been helpful. You know, we could have written that down and people would have written that down. But we, we can't go through list. We can't go through life with a list. I mean, he would have been setting a high bar and it would have left us discouraged and feeling hopeless, knowing that we can't do that every day. But when Grandpa said, listen, we cried out to God for help, and he gave us grace. Well, I thought, I can do that. I can ask for help. All this language of power through weakness, this, is all against, this was all against the values of the Corinthians. And it's against our values as well what we celebrate, what we honor, what we pursue. But Paul refused to accommodate his message to the values of the culture. His gospel was foolishness to them precisely for this reason. Our natural tendency is to say, I've got this, I can handle this. But what God is after is that we're humble and dependent. Listen, God, God's not here this morning saying, what, what's your potential? He wants to know what's your posture. He's, he's after people who are humble and dependent on him. We want the honor of saying, I've delivered myself. I got it done. But God says, lay down your weapons. Let me do what you cannot do. Give me the honor. Give me the glory. Believe in me. Let my grace be sufficient for my power. It's made perfect in your weaknesses. And this, this ruins self-sufficiency. And we confess that we're severely flawed individuals who have no hope of doing anything lasting in this world unless a God whose power is limitless helps us. But that's exactly what we have. See, Paul's, Paul's success pointed beyond himself to God. And that's what we're called to, friends. Finally, we can, we can rejoice in our weakness because in doing so, we're identifying, we're identifying with Jesus himself. The cross that he bore, the humiliating, feared 
mocked, despised symbol of defeat, judgment, and death was precisely the means by which Jesus conquered his enemies. It's in the very weakness of his death that we have hope for salvation, and it's in the model of his power and weakness that we're called to live. So God uses our trials for our good. He supplies grace to sustain us. And as a result, we don't have to be ashamed of our weaknesses, but we can boast in them. God is looking for a stage on which to display his glory. And you're a perfect candidate. Because God uses our weaknesses to display his perfect power. And this means that, that, that wherever you experience weaknesses in life, whether it's physical affliction, your emotions, your relationships, if it's your family, your work, or this church, you look around and you see <laughs> we're doing things wrong. You know, we're weak in this area or in this area. It seems like this other place is stronger in this area. God has made you exactly as He sees fit. He's ordered your circumstances just as he wants them. He is accomplishing good in and through your life. God is for you. Often when we think that God is farthest from us or that that maybe in maybe in, in discipline he's he's actually turned against us, the truth is that he's actually setting the stage to show forth more of his power more of His grace, more of His glory in and through your life. Resulting in a deeper, more lasting, abiding joy in our souls. Friends, God has good purposes for you. He has good purposes for your life, for your family, for your work, for your neighborhood, for your relationships. And His purposes are not thwarted. So tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up most of us will find that our weaknesses have not left us. Remind yourself immediately that neither has my Savior left me. And His grace will be sufficient for this day. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.